Welcome to Resume Storyteller with Virginia Franco, bringing you interviews with industry experts and regular folks who tested the job search waters and succeeded, and strategies to tell your story and land you job interviews in 60 days, guaranteed. Here's your host, Virginia Franco. I am so excited to have with me Emily Lawson. She is an executive career transition coach, and we've been colleagues on LinkedIn for a while now. Um, I just love her stuff on LinkedIn, so I couldn't wait to have her on. She and I, we share a mission to help job seekers to navigate the recruiting funnel with confidence. She has a 20-year background in education, HR, career development, and corporate recruiting. And she's helped over a 1,000 clients to land ideal work and successfully transition into some some top tier companies, um, and I'll list just a few: Google, Amazon, Apple, Tesla, IBM, uh, and many, many others. So, Emily, thank you so much for joining me. I'm just I'm delighted that we finally got to do this. Oh, Virginia, me too. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's truly a pleasure to be on. So, I always love to start off with just asking, how did you come to be in this position? Because most of us did not grow up saying this is what we wanted to do when we were grown-ups? No, I can definitely say I fall into that camp as well. Um, for me, I really, the impetus in building my company was I just saw a glaring need. Um, when I left the corporate space a few years ago, um, I was a senior HRBP with a Fortune 500 company. Um, very demanding job in and of itself. But I actually started to work with a, with a few colleagues from um, a company that I worked with prior that was going out of business. And what I realized was a lot of what I inherently knew from the HR space was not common knowledge to the typical job seeker. And what surprised me even more is this particular group was from a um, research and development laboratory. And I was their site-based HR manager there at that time. And these folks had like multiple PhDs. They were very well networked in their industry, 30 plus year careers, and they were completely stalled in transition. And I simply introduced my knowledge from HR and my experience and partnered a little bit more closely with them on really helping them understand their unique value and how to market that. And they got traction just right away. And I thought, gosh, this is so unfortunate. (laughs) Recruiting has changed so much in a short period of time. And it's left uh, people who are job searching feel very unstable and unsure as to the best course of action. So for me, you know, I tend to work best, I feel, with senior leaders and really helping them uh, market their unique value and better understand how to leverage that through networking and strategic job search. Um, But of course, those fundamentals apply at all levels. And so um, for a lot of those strategies, that clarity has been helpful to many. No, and I, you know, with see, I, I work with all ages as well, but mostly senior leaders like you, and so many of them are in situations where they they kept getting jobs because of their network. Through they were recruited either either they were outright recruited or 
you know, colleagues would bring them along when new roles became available. So they find themselves having to sort of formally look for a job for the first time in many, many years. Um, Are there a couple of sort of common challenges that you see facing your clients that are, you know, that are trying to make a move today that they just didn't anticipate? Oh, absolutely. I think it very much goes in line with what you just said. Um, You know, the typical model that (laughs) has helped them transition into other roles really isn't active in the same way today. And either through a layoff or, you know, a lot of different reasons, they find themselves looking to transition and they, you know, simply just sharing your resume doesn't work anymore. (laughs) And so, and they're just, you know, they haven't been on LinkedIn. They've been working. Honestly, I hate to say that. Yeah, no, they've they've been, they've been busy. (laughs) They've been busy. So for them, understanding uh, the key elements in strategically using their profile, not just having it optimized for recruiter searching, but really using it as a networking tool, um, that coaching has been paramount. But also, there's a lot of difficulty in understanding how their resume is used. Um, you know, it's just one piece of a much bigger puzzle. But on that senior level, you know, <laughs> getting through an ATS is really problematic because of how they have their information framed up. And so removing some of those obstacles um, has been a big piece of it. And for them, the biggest challenge is just this learning curve. Um, they're having to go about this process so differently than they have prior. And for many, they don't really anticipate the time, uh, the investment of time, uh, resources, and daily commitment that's required to produce the quality outcomes that are going to help them really transition into the right role for them and in those ideal companies. So in terms of sort of misunderstanding or, or not not having accurate expectations around the, the amount of time that it takes and the resources that they need. You know, it's obviously it's different when someone is employed versus not employed, but what what kind of a time frame in terms of maybe daily or weekly investment do you share with people and and how long do you think it takes on average to get a job? Yeah. Right. I know. Statistically, what's, you know, out there. I do think, you know, the the one month for every 10K model, I've heard that kicked around. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can can see that. But I think if you factor in somebody who's new to this process and they haven't partnered um, with a career coach, um, and they're trying to read articles online and follow different influencers and get a better sense of what that's how that's going to translate for them. The failing forward model, yeah, I can see it translating into a month for every 10K. I could right? That yeah. learning curve can be painful. Um, so especially for the senior leader who really doesn't have the time on the daily to invest into a process that seems highly frustrating. Um, however, you know, if you do partner early on and you're able to get all of your personal marketing collateral and branding framed up and targeted the way that it needs to be, and then you have just even some fundamental coaching on how to use it correctly, um, and then have a career transition roadmap that you follow on the daily, right? Getting all of that into place really honestly takes at least a month. 
and then not on the daily. Um, You know, it really depends on how aggressive and how intentional they are. Are they casually looking for opportunities or do they really need to transition quickly? Um, So it becomes more of an individual matter, but with them, you know, once they get to that point, it's more about how hard they want to push that gas pedal. But again, it's also the market and what's available and, you know, really how picky they are, right? Which companies they want to work for. If they have a specific company highly targeted, it's going to take some time to build the network that they need internally to make that happen. Yeah, I agree. The the urgency and then that um, the level of of targeting mm-hmm. makes it. Those are huge variables. Yeah. Um, so, what advice do you give someone who comes to you and says, "Okay, I have got to make a move. Where do <laughs> I get Where do I get started?" Um, I almost wish I could just reach out and hit a pause button. With <laughs> <those>. <laughs> Because a mistake that I especially saw earlier on, um, I think when I was providing services kind of for all levels of job seeker, um, what I found is people have a tendency to be more reactive than intentional. Um, Mm. With that reactive behavior comes kind of, you know, uh, cut corners, shortcuts, um, maybe, you know, pain just you know, not that much for a resume that's heavily templated with a lot of canned phrases or words that really doesn't explain their value. Yeah. Um, it does very little on the side of HR and, you know, they're just looking for something that makes them look good quick, right. And help them quote, stand out. And those are not good strategies and they're not effective uh, for any job seeker on any level. So I think the one piece of advice is to stop for a minute, <laughs> um, if you're not having success, then that's your sign that you need to identify, um, you know, do a pretty thorough needs analysis as far as where you are in the process. Are you uh, not getting traction for, you know, even that initial phone screen? Okay. Then it's your resume that needs your focus. Right. If you're not getting offers um, or transitioning through the interview processes, then that's your sign that you need to get some practice with your with your interviewing. So you can go about it that way, or you can just kind of rewind from the beginning and set out a plan of attack and a strategy. Look at your resources, identify where you can invest and how you need to bridge the gap and have a very calculated plan going forward. I also think that for many job seekers, they need to be comfortable with the process of learning. So look at failure more as you're just simply producing results that are giving you feedback in areas where you need to improve, right? As opposed to it identifying their value or taking it personally or letting it deflate them. Um, I think if you just follow the process on a daily consistent effort and try to remove those elements, that's going to yield a a higher return than just trying to Fix it quick. You know, it's interesting that um, I, I agree with you that feedback is a learning opportunity, and it's it's helping you move one step forward. Um, but getting feedback can be tough, um, and getting it from the right people, I think, is so important. Oh, that's, you, that's a good point. Um, yeah. Because if you you know, I pull four of my friends that know nothing about job search. Um, right. It's not going to be really great feedback, and then it's. And and you would know this better than I, but 
people, when they do interviews, they are instructed not to give feedback more often than not. Isn't that correct? Absolutely. And I think, you know, with a lot of job seekers, um, especially if they haven't been involved in hiring um, themselves, Mm -hmm. um, it's especially frustrating because it feels like the HR or the prospective employer is ghosting them. And really on the other side, there's so many variables behind that. Um, you know, that process could have gotten stalled because of budgeting getting pulled. It could be a reorg. It could be an upcoming merger or acquisition. Things that got set in motion months ago sometimes get halted and they don't want to lose you as a potential candidate, right? But they can't exactly be that transparent either about what's happening internally. Um, the other side of that is, you know, discrimination, bias. We get thousands of claims every year um, from prospective candidates who feel that they were discriminated against, and larger companies tend to get targeted for that. So we have to be incredibly careful about the feedback that we give. And, you know, the more vague, the better. And I know it comes across impersonal and that it's not human. Um, but if I were to get real with a candidate and say, you know what, your, your nonverbals are distracting, right? Um, let's say that they have a physical disability that's causing that. Well, yeah, you're opening yourself up to, to a whole can of worms. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. And so that's why I say, try not to take it personally, but just understand that it's not the right fit at that time for you for whatever reason. And keep going. No, and I think that sometimes the feedback you're getting is by is obviously not from the physical feedback that you're not getting in an interview, but the fact that you aren't progressing. That's telling. If, if it happens often enough, that right. your interview skills are the are the problem. Um, yeah. Okay. Identifying no, patterns is really important. Yeah. Um, and I liked what you said before about. Um, You know, I did have a client. It's kind of a funny story. He, um, you know, he was older, more mature in his career. And this whole process was just mind-boggling. Brutal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's like, you know, Emily, I was going through my mother's attic the other day. And I came across her resume. And my resume does not look anything like hers. (laughs) And I said, no, that's a good thing. That means we're going in the right direction. But it is. It's just the whole process looks and feels so different now. It Um, is. It's it's tough. And and I, what I try to tell people is if they're, when they're trying to get feedback on their resume, for instance, or the language on their LinkedIn profile, is to expect that everyone's going to have an opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, But if three out of five people have the same opinion, then you might have a trend on your hands. I love that. Yeah. You could turn yourself into a knots over it. Yep, absolutely. Crowdsourcing is great. That's right. Look for the consistent pattern. Yeah. And that's where you need to focus. So I, I, what I'd love to hear are some words of wisdom that you might have for people that are, they're at a crux and they have lots of different skills and, you know, they're not sure where their next role should be because they feel like they can go in a couple of different directions. Um, what are your thoughts on the challenges of that and how do you advise them to proceed? Yeah, you know what? That is honestly such a common um, impasse 
for many clients at the senior level because they've had their hands in so many buckets. Yes, yeah, they do. Which is um, great. I mean, people, yeah. I feel like people want generalists, people with, that they can truly be jack of all trades. Once they hire you, they just don't realize it at the beginning. Right. Absolutely. So I think aside from, you know, the obvious direction as far as what to target, I think there's some internal work that also needs to be done at that level. Mm-hmm. You know, where they are in their career. Um, are they looking for more of encore work in a smaller to mid-sized company where they can wear a lot of hats and be more of that coaching mentor, right? Or are they truly looking to continue to build their existing career and fine-tune their trajectory or path? Um, a lot of that depends on just their own development, work-life balance, financial needs. And I think that requires reflection on the point of the candidate. Um Also, I think it's important to understand, you know, what got them to where they are now. Are they jumping from one job to the next and that's how they've acquired a different skill set? Or how intentional are they being? Do they have an end goal? Um, You know, these are typically things that um, job seekers struggle earlier on and later on in their career. Um, So when it comes to the job search itself, I think where (laughs) this really becomes an issue is for many clients, they have what I call the autobiography resume that's like five pages long and it has everything in there. And I'll just say from the side of HR, we're not going to read it. We're going to pick out the pieces, but when it's so textually heavy like that, it really becomes difficult to navigate. Um, and a lot of that should be shared in the interview process. I think the number one thing is, does the information relate to the job that you're applying for? The answer is yes, then expand on that. If it's no, leave it off. It's okay. Not everything needs to be included. So, and you know this with resume writing, the more targeted you can be in your content, to relate to the role that you're applying for, the more traction you're going to get from the side of HR when we're looking at a candidate. A lot of the things might be nice to have, but really that that front end of HR, they're checking boxes. That's <laughs> right. Wanting to know exactly what do you have that directly translates to the role that they're recruiting. And they need to be able to see it quickly and they need to see it so that it stands out that you're that right fit for what they need. So there's the problem, right? How do you, you know, how do you customize a resume for that? So the approach that I have, um, it's a little different. Okay. So what I, what I typically do is I build out a core resume that my clients um, can use on a high level to share with their intimate network um, for that purpose, more of a networking resume, but it gives us the format that we know is going to work in either direction, whether they're trying to push it through an ETS um, or which that's a whole discussion in of yeah, itself. Yeah. <laughs> or they're sharing uh, with their network. Um, once we have that framework in place, um, and it's going to be different for each person, then I actually work with them on building. Um, a lot of people see them as bullets, but I, I like to call them value statements. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, what we'll do is let's say their primary skills lie in operations and business development. Those are the two trajectories where they're wanting to pursue. Um, basically, we figure, we, we work out the primary categories, their keywords for each direction. And just simply in a Word document or a library, I've got my own system. Okay. Um, 
we take each category and we build out um, value statements from their experience to support that. And in those value statements, we make sure to include, you know, the situation or challenge or accomplishment. So sort of that story that in that challenge action Mm -hmm. result format. Okay. Yeah. Get the quantified metrics in there and really have good examples under each area. And for both directions, you might have categories that share. Then when they go to apply and they clearly understand what's needed from that job and that job description or who they've spoken to internally, then they can truly tailor their resume by transferring over the statements that relate the most. Oh, they can sort of plug and play. It's a plug and play model. And then being able to tie that in with the cover letter and then through their own networking, um, it works beautifully. And the top portion I typically keep for the system if we need, if that's going to come into play Mm -hmm. um, to build it out more high level and with the right language so that that's not um, an impediment in the process too. Oh, that's a brilliant model. That's a brilliant. And that, and that also allows them to pick and choose stories for their interviews, right? Because you can, yeah. Yeah. And when we go through that process of building out those value statements, we do, pick some to set aside that they put in their back pocket is what I speak to it because a lot of the behavioral and situationally based questions mm-hmm. cross over. And so if they have three to five really good examples that they framed out already, then they can evaluate the question and scale it to that example. And that's half the battle. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, so this next question is not meant to be flippant, but I always like to ask it because um, it allows people to sort of see common um, common mishaps. Um, so what is there something that just drives you most nuts when it comes to sort of job seeker mistakes or missteps um, that you feel like is sort of easily avoidable? I do. I think it's, I don't know if most nuts, and I certainly don't see it as flippant. Um, I think the thing that just, it, it, it pains my heart, honestly, um, is when a client comes to me and they've already invested elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, usually it's just a quick fix resume and some, I think, often well-meaning career advice from people who are either breaking into the industry or they're just kind of regurgitating things that they've heard online. Um, yeah, a lot of the time it does more harm than good. And it just, it's hard for me to one, see that they've made that investment. They've tried to use it. It was ineffective. They're frustrated. It's a deflating process to go through a stressful process. And then when you start it out from that position, and then when they want me to use what's been created to help coach them through or fix it doesn't work like that because to do it right it really requires an investment of time and resources that are different and until they're ready to to make that commitment they're not going to get the result that they're looking for and often they have to go through that to get the perspective to then invest um but it's difficult to start from that place yeah i agree i um to me i can always tell when those residents tell that those resumes sort of stand out because you read them and it doesn't feel like a person sometimes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they, and I've actually gotten that feedback where they say, you know, I paid for this, but it just doesn't feel like me. Yeah. Um, 
And so fixing something that doesn't feel like you to make it feel authentic is you can't do it without doing that. Yeah. I mean, you have to start over. It doesn't, you can't. And it what's what's funny, I don't I don't share this real often, but I think it's valuable to understand in in this difference. You know, when I was working with those colleagues before with the company that was going out of business, when they started getting traction, of course, word of mouth hit. And then everybody in the company wanted me to provide services. And so I naively thought, oh, I just need a team of writers to help me, right? So I put on my recruiting hat and I sourced, um, you know, a a writing team. And I made sure they were experienced and certified. And, you know, but again, I understand the difference in, in what we're talking about. And what I was getting was a lot of really nice looking templated resumes <laughs> because they had worked with other uh, companies that do that. And they have a system that they can use to kind of pull out the canned language. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I would get it. And I really tried to develop those writers and help them understand it from the hiring side and to really take the time to invest into the client to create their story, but they were so ingrained in their process and how they've done it and doing volume um, that I shut it down no, because it's I a was different, I yeah. so much work on the back end to fix it and then also coach the client on how to use it. And a lot of that coaching happens in the process, right? That's why I like to look at it more as a career transition partner than a coach or a writer. Oh, okay. so, yeah. So for me and the outcomes I was wanting to provide, it was a good learning opportunity for me. Well, I'm too much of a control freak. And, <laughs> you know, if I had to try to take a bunch, no one could read my notes to be able to write, <laughs> write, take my notes and write with it anyway. But yeah. I know I, I hear what you're saying. It, it is a partnership and that is, and that two-way dialogue is what I'm sure you, you use to, to, to craft documents and to coach them. Yeah. And your branding too. I mean, that's right. That's how you know what differentiates them from everyone else who's equally qualified, has the same education, et cetera. Um, So you, you know, we've, you work a lot with senior leaders and, you know, one of the things I want to touch base with you on is the whole discrimination thing, because there's, you know, there's so much, there's been so much talk of it, especially lately, uh, you know, in terms of barriers to entry or discrimination in the hiring practice. And ageism is certainly one of them. But we know that there's racism and sexism and sure. all of the isms. Um, what are your thoughts on the topic? And um, and maybe we start with ageism. But how do you recommend that people address it from maybe a document standpoint and then a job search standpoint? I think it's a little bit tougher from a document standpoint. Um, I will say, you know, from my experience in HR, it's a bit of a divided issue. So Mm. senior leadership is really leaning on HR to ensure that, you know, we don't have desperate impact and that we, you know, have trained, you know, those on the hiring team how to uh, not have bias and not discriminate. They're leaning on us to ensure that we're providing a candidate pooling that is going to be well-rounded to provide them with all the different possibilities um, just so that we're compliant legally. 
Okay. But when it comes to those who are making the hiring decisions, they're looking through a very different lens. They're looking for the person who's going to make their pain go away. They're really right, looking for right. that's a really the good person point. that's the right fit for their team. Someone they can trust and respect and, and really get in and work with. And that's a very different lens to look through. Um, and honestly, you can't take the human element out of that. You can't train it out. I've tried. It doesn't work like that. Um, the best that HR can do is when you have um, those back-end conversations after you've gone through the interview process and you're kind of sitting at the table, you're down to two or three candidates and trying to make the decision on who's going to get the offer. Um you know, there's a lot of coaching that happens from HR and bringing awareness to the discrimination that does happen, right? And how it can adversely affect the team. Statistically, the more diverse your team is, so long as they know how to communicate and actually get along and work well together, Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be higher functioning, higher performing. And so that's always a driver too. That all being said, from the candidate side, I would say be authentically who you are, because the more you try to make it a thing, the more awareness you're bringing to it. And so kind of a funny thing is sometimes we get older candidates who, you know, try to dress younger or dye their hair or try to, you know, try too hard to make the interviewer where they are, especially if they're younger, right? Um, And I would say, you know what, be exactly your authentic self and let that shine because your value is going to come through in a stronger way through that. And maybe the team really needs somebody with that maturity. Maybe the team is really looking for someone who can be that stabilizing force and, you know, provide that wisdom. So, you know, you're always going to get a better result with that authentic approach anyway on both sides. And I don't think there's anything that the job seeker can do Um, but you know, just work on being authentic and genuinely connecting with those that you're interviewing with. Um, I think that's going to go a longer way than, than any other strategy or tactic that they might have. And do you feel like that authenticity helps to mitigate internal biases because you're, you're making that connection? Absolutely. The human connection is incredibly powerful. And at the end of the day, people do hire from that place of, do I respect this person and can I trust them? You know, they're, they're assuming that by the time that they get to the final stages, HR has already vetted out that they're qualified, experience, have the skills, what have you. And if it's in a technical role, there might be more of a technical interview as far as their skills and their applied. But generally speaking, when it comes to business and leadership, um, it's more about their leadership style and does it fit into that environment and explaining you know, the accomplishments that they've had and doing that from an authentic place and relating it to the role and how it provides value is going to go so much further than trying to eliminate something you don't have control over anyway. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree completely. It's funny. You said that you thought from a document standpoint, it was harder. I actually always think it's easier from a document standpoint because, (laughs) you know, you can make a resume seem a little bit more timeless. LinkedIn's a little tougher, but, um, but I feel like, the once the person's out there interviewing, there's just so many more wild cards. Um, so I think it's more challenging, but I like your advice. Um, well, you are right with the, with the resume. Um, but I will share that, you know, uh, you know, kind of um, condensing the, the experience or leaving off dates or using a more modern format, all those things. Yes and no. I mean, it does. 
like you, you want your collateral to be branded correctly for your level. Mm-hmm. Um, but HR is going to vet out your age. Like there's no, no you're right. That's right. You can't, you can't, it all, all it can do is open the door to make them want right. to learn more. Right. Exactly. No, I agree with that. And, and I also agree that, like you said, we're as human bias is inherent in humans. Mm-hmm. Um, but genuine connections are a, are the best way to mitigate it. Yes. And there's a bias, I think, that trumps all others. And it's called a similar to me bias. And it sounds silly, but I've seen it time and time again. What is that? It's where it can go in two different directions. So for example, um, maybe the person interviewing is more senior and they're looking at someone more junior mm-hmm. and they see themselves in that person. Oh. When they were younger, right? And they see the potential differently in that candidate because they identify with where they are in their career and just qualities about them that they relate to. Um, The other way can be if um, you're interviewing somebody that's on your level and you just genuinely like them. You have common ground. Maybe you have the same behavioral analytics and that's a whole nother discussion. I'm certified in DISC and, you know. um, Or you went to a rival college or some some sort of commonality. Something common ground, but also just even how you function. Um, A a simple example was earlier in my career, I was um, interviewing for a, a tech startup and I was interviewing with the CFO to build out their HR function. And I would be reporting directly to him. And I am all people all the time. I'm very <laughs> outgoing. <laughs> and he, you know, I'm a high I, he's a high C. He was all about his data and numbers and analytics. And I came to the conversation wide open with all my relationship experience. He came to the conversation with where's the proof? Where's, where's the, the numbers? Yeah. It was a huge disconnect. I still got the job, but um, it was a great lesson for me in understanding the importance of connecting with your interviewer based off of how they're intaking information as well. Know your audience. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's really, really good advice. Um, And in terms of finding common ground, I always love to recommend you go on LinkedIn, look, go to their, do Google searches, see if you can find commonality. Do you like the same things? Just those little icebreakers can go a long way because people do, people like to hire people that they like. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just uh, cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so let's say you are at a dinner party and mm-hmm. if we ever get out of our houses and someone says, yeah. all right, I'm getting ready to start my job search. What are two tools that I need to have? What, what would you say those would be? You know, I think really taking good ownership and command of your LinkedIn profile is going to hold more value than anything else. Having it optimized based off of the target that you have, um, just so that it can function for you as far as opportunities coming to you. Um, but even more so, really understanding LinkedIn's platform, you know, how to vet out prospective employers, how to build your network internally within those companies, really understanding the virtual networking 
best practices. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that's the one that probably makes me smile the most. But it takes practice. And for many, like I said before, LinkedIn is just kind of an afterthought. They're not really looking at it that way. No, it's a, it's, you're right. It's a virtual resume for a lot of people. Um, they don't, we recognize the capacity of it to be, uh, to me, it's just the world's greatest database in CRM. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's incredibly functional. I, I just, I can't go into it enough. The other one, which I actually found an interesting little hack the other day that I thought, ooh, but, fair. Yes. Um, I was, you know, generating the key language uh, for a client. And typically I'll use a tool like JobScan or, um, you know, even like a word cloud generator or something mm-hmm. like that, just to get an idea of the focus. But if you go into LinkedIn and you go to the feature to build your own resume, it asks you what job you have that you're building the resume for. And literally by doing that, you could put in, you know, um, business development executive, right? And it will show you on the right hand side, a list of keywords associated. Are you kidding me? Job. No, I'm not kidding you. It'll show you. And what's gold about this, Virginia, that I love is, you know, a corporate ATS is different. It's going to take keywords based off of the job description or right. what we manually entered in for targeting that job. LinkedIn is different. LinkedIn has its own internal ATS, if you will, but their own internal database of language that it uses to qualify people for searches and um, to see you as being the right candidate. And so when you when you go through that little process of building your own resume through LinkedIn and identifying those keywords, those are the exact keywords that LinkedIn uses on the recruiting platform to identify if you're qualified for a job or not. So like when I go to post a job through LinkedIn, people who apply, depending on the, the membership that you have through the recruiting right, platform, right. it's going to associate metrics and associate how qualified you are based off those keywords in your profile. So if you have a very clear target, this is a gold hack to generate the right keywords for your LinkedIn profile so that LinkedIn sees you as being qualified for that specific job. It's hard to do without a visual, but I kind of stumbled on it the other day and I thought, oh my gosh, this well, is... Well, I wonder, so I have noticed, and I, this is a way better hack than mine, but you know what some jobs on LinkedIn have... Like all the skills are sort of listed at the bottom. They're in little yeah. ovals and then some aren't. Is that, mm-hmm. do you know how that comes about? Cause that's what I use. I go to, I go to just confirm what, what I've seen in the job posting to make sure I'm on the right page. But I, I go to the job postings on yeah. LinkedIn. Yeah, but absolutely. I, yeah. So the job postings have more like generalized keywords for that target job. Um, probably a more comprehensive way is if you do, that job for like 10 different companies and right. yeah. the ones that stand out the most um, and make sure that they're in your skills and endorsement section, because that's the correlation. It even shows you, you know, on the bottom of the job, how qualified it sees you. Well, right. What, what I can't figure out though, is how come some of the job postings have the skills and some don't, you know, it depends on their membership in their recruiting. The membership. Okay. Same thing. Like um, if the job poster is listed or not, it defaults to it, but you can elect 
for it not to show. Oh, so that okay. platform is different. We, it gives you different pipelines based off of LinkedIn membership or if you're actively looking. It's, it's a whole different thing. And depending on what level you have, uh, what type of membership uh, determines the functionality. Okay. All right. Well, I will be off to look at this resume, <laughs> the resume building <laughs> tool as soon as we get off the phone. Um, well, last question to sort of just wrap things up. Um, you obviously wear a lot of hats in your role in your current business, but what, what is next for you? What do you have planned for 2021? Anything you want to share? Yeah. So I think uh, my business to this point has been a refining process of really clarifying my model. Recently, I you know, I've taken a, a, a bigger step in not just branding, but also, um, you know, content marketing and and looking at that a little bit differently. That's been a lot of fun. I don't feel like I really have the time for it in the same way. Um, so that's been a great focus. But ultimately, for next year, what I'm what I'm working on right now is the need that I'm seeing the most in my current um, target client, and that is. They simply don't have the time that they would like to invest into, you know, managing um, their interaction with target companies, um, having that career transition roadmap, and executing it on the daily. Um, what they'll do is they'll kind of they'll kind of go all in, and then they'll go dark for a little while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so what I'm doing is I'm I'm actually developing um, more expensive packages. Um, rather than just having like, you know, different levels of marketing collateral services associated with more a la carte coaching based off the of needs as they transition, I'm going to expand that out to include um, almost like an all-inclusive job placement retainer subscription model. Oh, wow. Where, um, it's more like a concierge service where we mm-hmm. have like a joint Trello board and we're able to truly partner further into the process and I can provide the support that's more time intensive so they can focus more on the networking efforts. Oh, that's so necessary. Yeah. And and that's, you know, so I'll still have, you know, the bundles with the flat fee and a la carte for those that are, you know, that's a better investment for them financially, but I am seeing more of a need um, where it just gets overwhelming and frustrating. They don't need to be in the minutiae and all the details and how. Right. Right. And so, um, yeah, I have a couple clients right now that are really excited. They're like, hurry. <laughs> oh, that is brilliant. So if people want to reach out to you, I have included your LinkedIn and your HR Logic Solutions website on um, in the bio that'll, that'll be published. Are those the two best places for people to connect with you? Or do you have another um, site yeah. or something you'd like, to, you'd like to shout out? Yeah, um, Nope, that's it in a nutshell right now. I think the direct um, contact for me is emily at HRLogicSolutions.com. Sending me a direct email, um, including you know your current uh, documents is really helpful prior to an initial discussion. Um, but always happy to answer you know quick questions and, and help where I can. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Really good advice. And that hack alone is worth to me was worth this call. <laughs> I'm so glad, Virginia. It has just been so much fun to get to know you better and learn from you as well. You're amazing. And I'm just truly honored that you selected me today. Thank you. Take care. All righty. Take care. You've been listening to Resume Storyteller with Virginia Franco. 
To learn more about storytelling strategies to catch the eye of today's skim online readers, hiring, and decision makers, go to www.virginiafrancoresumes.com.